Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour on Enterprise Risk Management in Action, Mission Success in the 21st Century. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Agencies are under increasing pressure to perform their missions more effectively and efficiently, while the types of challenges that government confronts are growing more complex. Agency leaders are expected to keep programs and operations on track by getting ahead of risks before they turn into complex challenges. Enterprise Risk Management, ERM, is an approach that leaders can apply to gain a comprehensive assessment of the biggest risks to their mission success and also provides a strategy for managing and mitigating those risks. Done well, ERM can improve positive outcomes while reducing negative surprises, improve resource deployments, and most of all, enhance organizational resilience. The IBM Center for the Business of Government, in collaboration with the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management and the Senior Executives Association, hosted a seminar that brought together ERM experts to share their key insights and lessons learned about the use and application of enterprise risk management. Today's show brings those insights to you, working to support a more risk-aware culture and promote ERM within federal government agencies and beyond. First up, our insights from a panel discussion. We'll hear from Karen O'Leary, former Chief Financial Officer at the Judicial Branch, Dr. Rajne Gol, Professor at Howard University, and Tim Persons, Chief Scientist and Managing Director of the Science, Technology Assessment, and Analytics Team of the Government Accountability Office, GAO. Dr. Persons will tell us more about his role, how he sees the role of technology in managing risk while providing the GAO perspective. Sometimes we start to devolve and talk about risk in a monolithic way, like it's a vanilla thing that's the same thing across the board. And of course, that's not true on that. Um, and uh, I think there's risk is always contextualized in the problem you're trying to solve or mission you're trying to accomplish. And so the CFO view of risk in terms of financial risk is one thing or actuarial risk, uh, like as we look at Dorian grinding up the Atlantic and so on, there's already were computations that were adjusting in real time. Is it going to be 45 billion, 25 billion, et cetera? So you have those sort of risks, but I'm very happy that there's cyber risk is being thought of in that way because we need to uh, move beyond the cyber as an issue. We all are aware of that. The key thing is what do we do about it? And that really is ultimately going to be a risk management decision. Uh, so uh, cyber, uh, you, you know, we've uh, we've been doing work on technology at GAO on things like uh, artificial intelligence. We wrote a major report and issued last year, uh, which essentially had little vignettes or snapshots of uh, how AI was expressing itself in various areas of risk. It really was these little scenarios were ERM-like scenarios on how AI is going to be in the future a cyber security. 
uh, support. It's also a threat to privacy and civil liberties, but the idea of, uh, in the future, technical solutions uh, addressing um, cyber risk will involve AI in some form. There's just not enough human uh, effort or eyeballs or time or whatever to, to deal with that just with a brute force approach. So we look at that. We looked at the financial uh, usage of uh, AI. We looked at uh, AI's uh, usage in the criminal justice system. Again, a different cons constitutional risk, if you will, uh, on that. And then we also uh, looked at it in, in the financial services area. So uh, we've been doing work in that, in that way, and what I am thinking of for the long term of GAO, both internally for our ERM processes, but as we try and um, help our ERM practitioners and ERM risk owners, the CROs, the CFOs, CIOs, etc., all to be able to be quantitative, more quantitative in that approach. Dr. Tim Persons from GAO underscores the importance of quantitative analysis in the managing of risk, which also requires using data analytics effectively. So what role does data analytics play in managing risk? And why is thinking about risk in algorithms and computationally so important? Once again, Dr. Tim Persons. Has to do with uh, analytics, and analytics, again, we have to de-dazzle certain things. Data analytics is cool, advanced analytics. AI is just part of, you know, even more advanced analytics on things or more machine learning. Um, but uh, those things really are a means to an end for better decisions. And so the way I think about it, I like Dan's uh, approach uh, this morning. Notice that the, the system gave him information it did inform him. It said, if you do this, your risk is going to, the risk was time management for Dan and that. So it actually is a, it's an elegant solution, though it's, it's personal. It just shows the way these systems are yielding information to the decision maker in that context to say, what do I want to do? Is it worth my risk of making a moving violation? And if uh, the police officer had been around, let's say, Dan were caught and pulled over, I'm sure he wouldn't go to court and say, well, Google Maps told me to, <laughs> right? That would not hold up. And so I think at the end of the day, again, all of these things, trying to think computationally and algorithmically about risk itself as it informs decisions moving forward is, I think, the overall goal. And that's in the context of GAO talking about risks and high risk. But what I'm trying to do is compute and do things in that, using and leveraging the technologies, managing the risk of the technology themselves, and then driving forward in a strategic manner. Getting the quantitative aspects to risk management right is crucial. But so is cultivating a culture of risk awareness. Here's Karen O'Leary. And so I guess that's the key piece is culture, is, mm. is accepting that you can talk about risk in a safe way without getting like raising and escalating an issue and people are going to freak out about it. You, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a safer environment to talk about risk and, and assign values that say, well, but here's how we can mitigate it. Here's what stage it's in. It's yellow. It's, you know, <laughs> all these different colors. Um, and, and actually, I'm seeing it in practice. I'm on a project helping out at Homeland and we use it every day. The IBM Center has released a report, Financial Management for the Future, detailing how CFOs might see risk management moving forward, given the use of artificial intelligence and robotic process automation. Once again, here's Carolyn O'Leary offering her perspective. You know, one of the things that I think we find a lot of is, you know, with payments, 
payments come in in all different types of forms, right? Um, to this day, you get it, you know, email, fax, hard copy, mailed, you know, things like that. And you got to figure out a way. You have a whole staff of people who have to go through it, ingest the information, rekey it into the financial system, and then find out that, <clears throat> you know, somebody might have transposed a number or something happened, or they, they selected the wrong vendor, especially when you have a national database of vendors and, you know, you have however many staples organizations and you check the staples that's in the city, you know, the city next door, and then that's technically an improper payment. Um, and so having a way to um, ingest that information electronically and, and identify and match up. So using RPA to get that information ingested, having machine learning um, and, and ways to match up so that not that the machine is making the decision, but that the people that are like, you know, in the, in the, um, in the payment management group is actually getting information popped up to them to say, look at this anomaly, look at this one. So they're not wasting all their time looking at thousands and thousands of stuff. They're only looking at the ones that have popped up as potential issues. And so that's one way just from as far as reducing improper payments, uh, improving the, the, the efficiency of getting payments out the door. Um, the courts, by the way, don't have the 30-day prompt pay, but we do you know, try to do it um, as quickly as possible. But I'm talking for an executive branch agency, that's definitely something. So from that perspective is one example. The machine learning piece, I think, is important. Uh, industry play, uh, places are trying to um, help the grants managers. So a lot of people are getting crushed throughout the federal government as far as staffing. But Congress still gives you the same amount of money to oversee. That is a huge risk, right? So I know, for example, the Justice Department, they lost 200 FTE. And um, I think it was, Robin might know the answer off the top of her head, but was it like 600 or 700 to start with? And they lost 200, and they weren't allowed to backfill. And they all, and so there's three grant making organizations within the Justice Department. One of them took most of those 100 FTE hit the biggest one. And, but Congress still gives them the same amount of money. And so, you know, the, and that money lasts for many years. It's not like it's a one-year appropriation, right? And they have to oversee these grants, and they have a bigger caseload. So you're using um, uh, some of these cognitive tools. The coolest part is, it's, is it'll show you all of the payments that have been made over a period of time. It'll bring this information to the, the grants examiner, and it's a heartbeat chart. And it says, go look at this one, this is a little bit anomaly, or look at this one, no payments have gone out, what's going on there? And you look at, you pull those out and you look at it, and you're like, oh, that's kind of weird, they had a bunch of um, you know, payments out for like a dollar each, that's, that's odd. And then nobody charged anything at all in this quarter, what happened? You pull it out, oh, they, they, they went belly up, we need to go get, return that, get that money returned, There's no, that organization no longer exists. And so then when you pull out those anomalies that are skewing your data, it opens up a whole new level of analysis. And that just makes it, makes it easier so that the analyst is focusing on the highest risk projects and, um, and identifying the places, hey, I need to do a site visit there as opposed to just taking some random level of, oh, you know, here's the, here's the people who are due a site visit this year. The increased use of technologies such as social media, the internet of things, mobility, and cloud computing has extended the resources of potential cyber risks faced by government agencies. As a result, cyber is increasingly being viewed 
as a key component in enterprise risk management frameworks. Co-author of the IBM Center Report, Managing Cyber Risks in Government, Dr. Rajne Gul, professor at Howard University and panelist, provides her perspective on managing cyber risk. And with all the new ways that we engage with data, have it be mobile, have it be cloud, have it be your artificial mm. the, the the new AI systems. Um, we have the Internet of Things. So we are creating all these vulnerabilities within the agencies. Um, and we, we know ERNs, but what the new aspect we have to look at for enterprise risk is how do, how do we measure cyber risk within that ERM? Because we don't want two separate models going on. We, so as leaders, we have the challenge of first understanding enterprise risk management, how to prioritize. Um, so that's, that's the big word is, as leaders, we know this notion of risk, and, but we are under-resourced. We, we, you know, I've spoken to four people in the room and the first thing that they said, well, we don't have money for that. You know, the money is a, is a big challenge for leaders. And then from a technology perspective, many leaders um, don't have the time, as you mentioned, and don't have you know, maybe the expertise to understand technology risk. Um, an added issue in the government would be all the legacy systems. Uh, many of the leaders are in a so reactive mode and something happens, we're going to react to it, which is fine. And we add a new technology to say we're going to handle this problem with this new technology. Well, now we have legacy systems and new technology on top of it. And now we're just adding more risk because they're not integrated properly. We haven't really, we haven't taken care of the problem. We've sort of band-aid the problem and actually added more risk. How we manage risk involves both situational context and leadership perspective. Once these aspects are recognized, Dr. Gould, professor at Howard University, sees the real challenge in managing cyber risk as one of prioritization. And we came up with the PRISM model, and the challenge is prioritization. They know these issues are there, but how do we prioritize? What do we focus on? Like he was saying, with the technology, it comes out that this one grant is not doing well, and that's the risk. But when we're talking about cyber and you have so many different vehicles that cyber is a issue in, right? I mean, everything that we touch. And how do we prioritize where do we invest because the dollars are limited? So we talked about prioritization first and we have a model that actually that you can implement. So the NIST framework tells you about some of the things that you should be looking at. You know, you should be looking at, let's say, identifying, protecting, detecting, but the actual implementation doable model did not exist. But for cybersecurity, just because it's a newer domain, and especially for leaders, the step-by-step implementation model did not, we, we felt, did not exist at the time we did the report. And so prioritizing, and once, you, once the leaders can understand using this model to prioritize, then we can resource, then we can implement, then we can standardize across agencies, and then we have a monitoring component. I mean, cybersecurity is in so many different areas. This model would help you to sort of kind of quantify and then prioritize. Does the advent and use of artificial intelligence, AI, blockchain, and other technological innovations change the way ERM is done? And what is the next evolution of enterprise risk management? 
We'll explore these questions and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour on Enterprise Risk Management in Action, Mission Success in the 21st Century. Does the advent and use of AI, blockchain, and other technological innovations change the way ERM is done? Dr. Tim Persons from GAO closes this panel discussion, providing his perspective and underscoring that these technologies are tools. These technologies are really a means to an end. I do see it as a continuum. Um, uh, I like to just say, uh, look, we're all ERM practitioners. The key thing is to what extent do we recognize or realize that, and to what extent are we doing it with quality inputs and things. Uh, and really, the game really, all this uh, technology, you just want to de-dazzle it and just get into, these things are there to help make better risk-informed decisions, which is really our, uh, our business. And it's a decision sciences system, uh, and the technologies are enablers to that. So we have to sort of, uh, again, in a de-dazzle way, but still look at, okay, what can I do with this? And also, uh, I'm too much of an engineer where I like to baseline things and say, well, how have we been doing it now, right? And uh, that's why I like it's called enterprise risk management, not enterprise risk elimination, which is, of course, unicorn chasing. There is no elimination, right? So I think, you know, the technologies, again, are an enabler. Uh, in that way, and um, they allow you to compute in ways compared to uh, the old where you have deterministic. What's unsettling about data analytics or statistical computing and, and moving into AI, which is just more advanced or training wheels coming off semi-autonomous to often fully autonomous depending on the task, is that it's statistical. And so sometimes we're un unsettled by that. We want to have that nice black and white, that two plus two is four in this column, and I can have the function I can you know, inversely solve in that. When you get to large, unstructured data sets, uh, statistical paradigms, it's culturally a shock to us. Today's special edition of the Business of Government Hour is bringing you insights from an enterprise risk management seminar hosted by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management, AFIRM, and the Senior Executives Association. Our first segment introduced perspectives of ERM in action. And now we transition from action to evolution with Carol Fox, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at RIMS, the Risk Management Society whose presentation focused on the next evolution of ERM. So the question I hear a lot is, what's the next evolution of enterprise risk management? So we started out with transactional, and then we became defensive, and we put preventive things, measures in, and then you know we, we're, we moved to more of the strategic role. So what's the next evolution? Is it, is it cyber? Um, so we actually partnered with ASACA to say, if cyber is this cross-functional, horizontal capability within an organization, and I really like the comment that this is an ecosystem that feeds our economy, um, we, we, we have to start with, are we speaking the same language? And what we found when we started working with ASACA was that we probably aren't even talking the same language, we're using different tools, how do we talk to each other? And one of the things that we found very early on is that the tools that the IT folks are looking at with threat modeling, incident vulnerability, controls assessment, tend to be very internally focused. Let's fix the problem. Their problem is more of a technology problem. 
when we look, looked from an ERM perspective, the tools we were using were more a scenario analysis. Um, looking at loss events, not just from let's fix the breach, but more what's the reputational issue that we're dealing with and how are we uh, approaching it for, from an enterprise perspective. And then instead of looking just at the controls assessment, from a management effectiveness perspective. So it's a, a different viewpoint, a different mindset, and how do we meet in the middle? So one of the things we looked at were some of the tools that each of the different areas use um, where the IT folks are looking more at the assets, asset profiling, what are the things that we need from a cyber perspective to meet the objectives of the organization, that's all, and then also looking at what the threats, vulnerabilities, whether that's internal or external. Enterprise risk management looks at that as well, but we also look at the cyber world in terms of the opportunities. Um, I love the comments that you were talking about, how do we solve this problem through technology? And looking at it from a perspective of how do we create more value for the organization as opposed to only protecting value. Um, so there's, a different, again, a different mindset that we need to bridge in that digital, digital gap. What are the implications of managing risk across this digital gap, and how can we do it? Moreover, what should we anticipate? One key question, are we going to be disrupted, or are we going to be disruptors? Once again, Carol Fox, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at RIMS. So the question I often get uh, to the, to the comment of, are we going to lose our jobs? Um, are we going to be disrupted, or are we going to be disruptors ourselves? And I tend to take a very optimistic view of, of AI and blockchain and Internet of Things is that we need to embrace it. We need to be part of that disruption so that we can help lead our organizations. Carol Fox from RIMS offers an example of how an organization integrated AI into its missions and the implications of doing so. I'll give you an example. New York Power Authority um, has incorporated AI in all of their switches. So obviously there are people who look at that and say, oh my gosh, what if AI decides to turn off the power grid on the entire East Coast? Um, the point of the matter is AI-enabled technology can actually react faster than humans can, and they will be able to solve that problem before it becomes a problem. What was interesting to me in talking with the CRO at uh, New York Power Authority is they're also using AI within his organization in a, in a real-time sense to understand, so tapping into this intelligence, tapping into that, finding out where are our problems and looking at it from a bigger perspective, uh, being able to, to, to tap into, instead of doing a general view, of where they might be having to solve problems, looking at it in more specific, real time, let's do a response here or take a look at that. When dealing with risks, we must take seriously the actual threats, but we also must see the opportunity to create value. Once again, Carol Fox, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at RIMS, elaborates. Looking at it both from a threat and an opportunity perspective. So when people tell me we have to mitigate risk, I usually say, well, that's one thing you can do. But often you have an opportunity when you look at these particular risks that you can create value. And that, that, that is definitely a shift in mindset. Um, 
we use tools, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about these fit for um, um, purpose tools, but you take a general bow tie analysis, and this is around data analytics, and you can, you can kind of see how ERM can help an organization understand what, what occurs in the front end, and then what, what do you, how do you deal with the consequences. So again, you have a lot to bring to the table when it comes to these, um, these areas. But how are companies managing the risk associated with using artificial intelligence? Carol Fox continues. In looking at artificial intelligence, uh, Tom Easthope at Microsoft did a paper for us. And one of the things that he tried to dispel was this fear. Fear of AI, because we, you know, we have this concept fueled by different movies and things that the machines are going to take over the world. Um, the point of the matter is that that decision making in, within AI is not a um, it, it's it's not eminent. It's, we have a long way to go before AI is ta actually taking decisions. What we're working in is more of the um, artificial narrow intelligence where we're taking information and enabling the machine learning to provide us with information in a faster, clearer way. Um, and we need to be aware of it, but we also need to be part of it. So we need to be able to um, understand the responsibilities around AI, how it's, what our organizations are doing. We did a survey a number of years ago where we've, we found that a large majority of companies were actually integrating AI and machine learning and Internet of Things into their operations, but the risk management function wasn't even aware of it. So understanding what the organizations are doing, seeing it as a driver, and then looking at AI as a way to help us do our jobs better as well. So as we begin to use blockchain, in gen as, as our, our general ledgers for a lot of different transactions, being willing to support that and not fight that within the organization uh, and, and continuously learn. How do we transform enterprise risk management, ERM, and integrate it into an organization's culture and mission? Carol Fox, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at RIMS, explores this effort. She starts off by posing a provocative yet personal question. Is surgery a success? if the patient dies. Well, this, this it was actually very personal. My mother had lung cancer, and she went through an operation. And two days after the operation, she passed away. And I remember the physician coming to me as I was sitting there, and he said, I don't know what happened. The operation was an absolute success. And I thought, from your viewpoint, perhaps, but certainly not from my viewpoint. So I think we have to look at our own programs and ask the question, if we have these colossal failures, corporate failures, is ERM a success? So when we started looking at it from that per perspective, we started talking about, well, what are we talking about with risk? Are we really embedded in the organization at the right places? Are we intersecting in the right ways? Or are we always reacting rather than acting? 
So we're going to talk, walk you through a hypothetical risk. Put your own scenario in here. So if you think about you're driving a car. Dan uh, fortunately made it here without his tires falling off. <laughs> but if you um, think about a tire falling off of, of, a, of a car, in risk management, you use a bow tie. And you look at these preventative areas. What, well, what, what was the cause? What was the root cause of those tires falling out off? And then from a preparedness standpoint, well, after the fact, what, what, what occurs, what are the consequences, and what controls can we put in place? Does this look familiar? Yeah, OK. This is, this is the things we do. Well, what if you take it back another step? What really occurred? If your objective was to produce safe tires for sports cars, so that's what you're trying to do, engineering and finance made decisions around the, the quality of the materials. So it was that decision point. If you look at the, the management decision regarding labor with no supervision, because we thought we could run you know, a, a higher quantity if we, we had fewer supervisors, those operational and HR decisions are really, really important. So are we playing when we're looking at an event in the right spaces? What are you trying to do, and where do you become involved? So this is the question when we start talking about integration is where do you become involved and where should you become involved? So if you think about decision making within an organization as a nine block grid as we've done here and that we call it impact on the business model, you might call it impact on the mission, there are pre-decisions that are made. There are plans that occur when somebody puts an initiative on the table or you determine that you need to transform something. In that pre-decision stage, there, it may have a relatively low impact, a moderate impact, or a really significant impact. Same thing when the decision is actually taken, then where do you play there? And on the post-decision, same thing. Does typically, I don't know if, how it is in government, but typically most corporates end up in the post-decision. We've gone ahead and done something. We've acquired a company. Um, and, then, and then you get involved. And then operationally, when you go to execution, it's also an important place to play. So thinking about that integration now, decisions are taken. I think Dr. Karen Hardy said it. Decisions are taken every day. Some of them are, have more importance than others. And you use different tools. So back of the napkin, one of the things you want to do in that situation is make sure those who are taking those everyday decisions that are more automatic have the competencies to think about risk as they're taking them. That's got to be embedded. It's got to be part of the DNA of the organization. When tackling risk, embedding a risk management mindset within the DNA of an organization is critical. But where in the decision-making process does assessing risk fall? Once again, Carol Fox of RIMS offers some perspective. So as we looked at the decision-making steps, and this is for out of decision sciences, it gets right to exactly what um, you said this morning about what's the problem. What are we trying to solve? Frame the issue. What are the alternatives? Do we have the right data? And often in a strategic and complex area, you don't. You don't have a lot of data to, to, to be able to, to crunch um, developing the options, and then what are the trade-offs? What are the values? And then are we using logically correct reasoning? 
and then act on the decision. So those are the steps. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to doing enterprise risk management. Carol Fox, VP of Strategic Initiatives at RIMS, outlines a more effective way forward. It is a fit-for-purpose approach to ERM. So when you think about the fit-for-purpose strategy approach, it really is understanding what your objectives are, whether that's from an operational perspective, a project management perspective, or a strategic perspective, because the objectives may be different. So understanding you don't have just one objective or a series of high-level objectives that are, you know, from, from the top, but understanding where to play and how to play in each of those. And then going through your risk management process, in turn, is this within our tolerance? Is what we're about to do acceptable to the organization? And then if not, what are the solutions that we, we need to take? Those may be different solutions depending on where you're playing in, in this particular schematic. And then what's the decision? Being part of that decision, not trying to um, bolt on a risk management decision after a decision about what's going on has already occurred. So trying to band-aid things. And then are the solutions working? Why is it so important for risk management leaders to turn data into insights that can better inform decision-making? Carol Fox of RIMS elaborates. Our job isn't just to reiterate what, what the data we get out of our analysis is. I asked a, a director of a financial institution, tell me about your ERM reports. And he said, well, tell you the truth, Carol, I get a lot of data, but I don't get a lot of information. And I think one of our roles is to say, okay, we've done this analysis. What does it mean? What are the insights that you can provide to your organization to make those informed decisions? Reflections of an ERM practitioner when this special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. Welcome back to the special edition of the Business of Government Hour on Enterprise Risk Management in Action, Mission Success in the 21st Century. I had the pleasure of doing a brief interview with an ERM practitioner, researcher, and federal government leader, Dr. Karen Hardy, author of the IBM Center Report, Managing Risk in Government, an Introduction to Enterprise Risk Management. We end this special edition of the Business of Government Hour with an excerpt of that interview provided at a seminar exploring the use of enterprise risk management hosted by the IBM Center for the Business of Government in collaboration with the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management and the Senior Executives Association. Let's start out by understanding uh, who you are, what brought you to government service, and why the discipline of risk management? So I don't want to bore anyone (laughs) about (laughs) a background, but um, in terms of how I got into risk management, actually, I, I studied journalism and communication in college. It has nothing to do with risk yeah. management. But I've never heard of the word risk management. But one of the things my professor said was that if, you, if you're good in communications, you can do anything. And I've actually believed him, which really goes into what Carol was saying in terms of how the, this is, we're going to progress from being a discipline to a profession. Because as a d- discipline, we're really good technical experts. But where we're going is going to require more than just technical expertise. It requires a different level of leadership and thought as risk professionals. 
And communication is one of those tools or one of those um, disciplines that you can actually use to position yourself as a leader of when discussing risk management or ERM within your organization. Because I think that's where we're headed. There's no shortage of expertise in this room, <laughs> all right? Yeah. But the level up is uh, a different mindset about being leaders, adaptive leaders within this space that we're operating in. Wonderful. So could you tell us more about your current leadership role at Commerce, correct? So yes, Commerce, 13 bureaus. A lot of them don't have anything in common in terms of mission, which is a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's a great challenge because it forces us to think about, well, what are the common things that we share? And when you uh, identify what those things are, you're able to bring those stakeholders to the table and talk about those shared concerns. And that's an advantage of enterprise risk management because it doesn't matter if you have different types of units or organizations that are different, it's okay. And then in some instances, they have unique risks that other organizations may not have. But the point is, as Carol spoke to, getting folks at the table to talk about risk yeah. is a big win. It's bigger than you think because that opens up a lot of trust, the openness, and the rapport to actually move on other conversations with those with those people. It's a great introduction to you and your talents, but you're a thought leader as much as a practitioner. So I want to get your insights. Um, what is risk? Why does it have the um, perception of being always negative? Can it not lead to positive action? Well, I have, I've been doing this for 15 years. Sure. I have abandoned the idea of ask, telling folks what risk is. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> what I, I like do that. now, I actually let them define what it is to them because people manage risks and perceive risks based on their own beliefs, mm -hmm. and they manage to their beliefs, mm -hmm. right? So I give them space to, uh, to determine what risk is to them and then take it from there. I don't own that, and neither should we, Exactly. for the most part. But in terms of, of course, this positive sides to risk, and a lot of people don't understand that, but over time, I start to realize, well, of course, um, bad things happen, but when bad things happen, other folks, Benefit, for instance, uh, you know, lowering the gas prices. That's a benefit to a lot of consumers. Yes, but it's a negative impact on towns who rely on you know oil mm -hmm. rigs and oil companies for Real jobs. Right, exactly. And I think the conversation with risks in the past has always been an isolated one, where you're not doing the parallel discussion about you know when you pursue an opportunity, you also own the risk that comes with the opportunity versus just risk is bad mm -hmm. or something to avoid. So I think we've grown in the sense that we're starting to pair the conversation with opportunity management and risk management, not, not just a conversation about risk and loss. Well, you know, the, the title of this particular panel is a reflection uh, from an ERM practitioner, which you definitely are. I'd like to get a sense, if you are willing to share with us, what are some of the, some of the you know, critical risks and hazards facing federal government agencies today? I think we all talked about it earlier. We have cyber fraud. Mm -hmm. We have uh, improper payments. We have a, a whole potpourri uh, of risks that we're actually dealing with across government. Okay. We have the CAP goals, and the CAP goals really uh, help us to see across the board what some of those common risks are. So there's no shortage of risks in the government. At this point, it seems like everything is important and has the same amount of weight when it comes to importance in the federal sector. So why don't you um, help us understand what enterprise risk management is and how does it differ from traditional risk management approaches? Well, so you have to first uh, define what the E is. Yes. 
That's the first thing. So what, is the, what does the E mean in your organization? Because there's the assumption that you're already managing risk. All right, enterprise risk management is another level of what you're already doing. I don't think you can have great enterprise risk management based on how you define it, unless you have really good risk management, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. All right, uh, you just don't start off with enterprise risk management. I think you have to, first, how are you managing risk where you are? Mm-hmm. And then ERM really fills that gap. What are you missing at that level that ERM couldn't, actually we talked about gaps. How does ERM f- facilitate the gap in, based on what you're already doing? So if you take that approach, I think you have a much better chance of being successful within your organization mm-hmm. and actually managing what that means. So you, as I mentioned, you're a practitioner, you're a thought leader. Yeah. Uh, we've worked with you for about 10 years. What are some of the success stories, maybe at your department, maybe beyond your department in, in the federal enterprise itself that you'd like to share? And how has your rule of thirds helped or factored into your own personal success for this? So remind me about the rule of thirds. I'll get back to that. But in terms of the, the success stories, Practical things is, is what really I found really makes a difference. Um, a lot of times we can get caught up with or be romanticized by the idea of ERM, but it's the day-to-day things that aren't sexy at all that really are the critical wins within your organizations, like being present mm-hmm. at meetings and being there when decisions <laughs> are being made. You have to be there, yeah. okay? You have to help other people tell your story. The story shouldn't come from me. Mm-hmm. The story needs to come from other people within the organization because of limited resources, and you want to get the message out to leadership, mm-hmm. right? These are the type of things. Now, in terms of commerce, we've been very successful. I have a, a couple of commerce people here. Um, they represent the 13 bureaus that we have. And um, what I've done is, is instituted and bring them to the table as well, creating a risk management role at each one of those bureaus, creating a council. Okay, now that you have the role, what do you do? Okay, you bring people together to talk about shared experiences. Uh, And then we talk about, well, how do I know when I'm there in terms of enterprise risk management? So in response to their questions, we came up with our Mm -hmm. uh, ERM maturity assessment tool. And that's an assessment questionnaire. Some of them may frown, I know they're here. Uh, I push them to do every year. It's 89 questions, but but it's broken up in five attributes, okay, so that now we're generating data, and that you know, ties right into you know, the Evidence Act and the federal data strategy. So you're always creating and repurposing your work so that you would position your organization to be well-informed. Can I, can I pick up on that? What, what do sure. you do with that information, the 89 questions, so the, the content? The whole idea, I'm very strategic. Sure. So I tell them that I don't, anything I'm asking for is not a waste of time. Mm-hmm. It's always repurposing. But the idea is to generate information so that that maturity assessment can be used as a strategy tool for leadership. Help guide them in terms of maybe you know, the GAO, IG recommendations list, maybe that needs to be strengthened. Or maybe we need to do a better uh, job at linking our controls to the risk and the risk profile. They have a way of seeing where they are in terms of level of the maturity mm-hmm. and where they need to go to get there. So measurement is very important. Very important. So what... Um, the rule of thirds. Yes. <laughs> Since this, this is your story, what is the rule of thirds? So, What's your rule? The rule of third is this. It was one way for me to ensure I did not burn out. Because when you first start in enterprises, even long term, uh-huh. not just when you're just starting out, as you mature in this, you have to pace yourself. And one of the things I, I was faced with was I was just overwhelmed with how big this initiative was. So how do you even tackle something of this nature? So 
my rule of third was that, well, to keep my sanity mm -hmm. and then to be effective for the organization was to look at three things. There are one third of people who will never care about what you're doing, and that's okay. <laughs> and there's one third of folks that may have some interest, they may get what you're trying to do, right? But they're gonna remain on the fence to see what happens. Uh -huh. And then there's the other third that are doing something and they do wanna engage with you. Uh -huh. It may not be everyone, but it is a third. You want 100% of that third to get in there, show them what you know how to do, how you can help them, help, how you can make them be a better organization, and then get them to tell your success story throughout the rest of the organization. Really so that's good. a strategic yeah. mindset that we have to have moving forward as professionals, not yeah. just a technical piece. It, it brings up the, the importance of networking and collaboration, yes. this whole thing. So the other, you know, getting away from the success stories, getting into sort of the best practices, some of the challenges, some of the, some of the benefits. So what is the benefit of pursuing ERM? Maybe like a high level. Just at the high level, again, just bringing a, uh, together leaders who have never sat down at the table together to actually talk about what risk means to them. You asked me about what is risk. Yeah. Well, again, we've seen this scenario before, three people, three different definitions. That's great. Before an organization, you need one. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs to be in the same sheet of paper. But there's a lot of assumptions there unless you bring people together to let them know. Um, we're at a place now where we have our risk profile now, we're doing our risk treatment plans, oh. right? And part of those risk treatment plans are to bring those risk owners together to talk about, well, how are you gonna mitigate these risks? So we bring them together from different places to all talk about how they're going to do that. And having that realization about how different organizations do that has been very successful. And just piggybacking on that, so, and maybe this idea of getting people together and convener, what are some of the best or more, most promising practices people can, uh, who maybe are CROs at an agency can, that you'd like to share with them that you've seen? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the big, uh, one of the, I think one of the big ones is the maturity assessment tool. Mm -hmm. The measurement piece, I think that's very important. Having the council, having a collaborative opportunity to do that is very important. Um, one of the things I did early on was I actually instituted a risk information summit oh. when I first got there because I didn't know who the producers of risk information were versus the consumers mm. of the risk information. So I had to distinguish between who's asking for what and why. So having an risk, internal risk information summit, you're bringing together all of the players and asking them, what type of information are you looking for? What do you use it for? And then everyone in the room has an opportunity to actually see what they're doing. So from your vantage point with the council, that you, are there any yeah. external, like government-wide councils around risk? We have the CFO council, we have the, C, uh, the C, uh, Chico council, but is there any? We don't have a formal, formal? council that comes out of GSA sure. or OMB, but we have a lot of informal networks. Mm -hmm. So As it like, like a firm? And, you know, like, like a firm, and then we have the ERM working group. But um, I started the ERM Interagency Council. That's right. First, because that came out, that actually came out of a conference called at Commerce. Oh. I invited a, a, a handful of folks across other agencies to come into the call because I wanted to see what they were doing and learn from them. So that was a continual call that we have. It was about ten people. Then I asked them, "Well, what do you think if I invite OMB into our conversation?" And they said, "Okay, let's vote. Let's go ahead and Karen invite them in on the call that we have for Commerce." So the next thing I know. The invitation got larger. Oh yeah. And the list list got larger. So I had to rename it. So I named it the ERM Interagency Council. 
The good thing is that after I named that council, Mike Wetklow had called me, uh-huh. and he heard about this report, actually. Uh-huh. And he asked me to come over to OMB, and when I got there, I had a chance to share with Dave Mater and support his cause for revising A123, and to tell him that, hey, there's already a, uh, you know, a, a organic group of folks doing this through the interagency ERM council mm-hmm. to help support his cause for revising that. That goes right into my next question. And it's, it's around when the OMB guidance came out, how has it changed from your perspective, the way risk management is done in the federal space? Well, I think people need to remember the spirit behind the revision. Mm-hmm. The whole purpose of the revision was to help us rethink, can we do things differently and better? All right. Um, can we redirect resources to ensure that we're targeting and managing the most important risks within our organizations? Not just compliance, but if we're going to do compliance, let's ensure that those risks that are associated with the highest risk within your organizations are complied with, that those have controls. Mm-hmm. Because you have limited resources, you have re- limited energy, and you have to find a, a strategic way to actually address those types of things. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I think uh, the, the revision does. It also elevates the conversation about risk. Mm-hmm. Everyone remembers ERA. I believe, and during the era guidance at that time, they included the language of risk management. And a lot of agencies was trying to use FEMFIA to satisfy era risk management issues and problems. And it was difficult to do, all right? There was little for agencies to use um, to help support what they were doing at ERM. Mm -hmm. But now with the revision, you have an entire document renamed Enterprise Risk Management. Mm -hmm. So the whole spirit behind that is to first you know, change the mindset, think about how do we solve problems and do things differently that benefit the government as a whole. You know, uh, we celebrate, I think it's the 10th anniversary of your IBM Center report, which I want to show folks. It's, oh, wow. This is like the third edition, too. It's a very the popular report. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, what prompted you, uh, I think before your report, we may have had one in 2001 on financial risk from Tom Stanton, uh, but what prompted you, as a space of almost eight to 10 years, yeah. um, to submit the proposal to us, to the center? Uh, first, I, I didn't want anyone to go through what I went through because <laughs> I had a blank sheet of paper when I had to do it at NIH. That's and right. it, NIH started to do enterprise risk management in response to a problem. It was a media problem, it was on a you know, front page of the Washington yeah. Post, I think Tim had mentioned, you know, in terms of you know, look for problems. And that's actually where opportunity is for enterprise risk management. So I didn't want anyone to start from scratch. So I collected everything I did. That's when I met Carol's, but, but meeting her and then finding out ISO was happening. I said, well, why aren't we at the table talking about ISO 31,000? Yeah. And sent out Given a the survey. size of the federal government, right? Yeah, and they sent out a survey to the agencies and asked them what they thought um, and, you know, helped to introduce that. But um, that's really how that first report came about. I had to start from scratch. I didn't want anyone else to go through that pain and misery. Well, uh, it, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. As I did. And the other thing is that this report actually came out in 2009. Yeah. The first one came out so in 2009. A decade, right? And we had to put the ISO we in. We should have had a part. We should have had a <laughs> Last year. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but the, the, the point of the matter is that uh, having this was to, we were thinking um, when uh, Stan Dorr, and other folks, there's another group of yep. government employees who from were education, already meeting. Right? Yeah. yeah, from education. They were already mm-hmm. meeting about ERM, mm-hmm. right? So um, Mark Beasley has suggested some ways to get the message out. 
how has your understanding of risk and the managing of risk evolved in the last decade? Well, what I've found is that, I'll go back to the technical piece. I really depend on a lot of technical expertise mm -hmm. to do risk management. And what I'm finding, in order to get to where we're going with the AI and all these other things that, that, that's happening, decision management, we have to be a different type of leader when it comes to managing risk in the organization. I've, saw, I've seen this go from the technical side to more of a conversational relationship type of you know, engagement with leadership within the organization. Um, you have to think differently. You have to be the one at the table to come up with alternative decisions and uh, alternative ways to make decisions within the organization. It's important that you have to understand what the decision-making process is mm -hmm. within your organization. It's hard to offer up a solution of risk if you don't know when or where the key decisions are being made within your organization. So timing has a, plays a big role in that in order to have that type of impact or inf influence within the actual organization. Um, and I found that you know, leaders want to make good decisions, but they lack information, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to be in a position to interpret what all of that means and connect the dots for them so that they can make those key decisions. But I'd be remiss in not asking you, what does the future hold for federal risk management? It's, I think that the future is bright in terms of, first of all, I anticipate and expect that we should have a chief risk officer. Mm -hmm. You have to have someone facilitate everything we're talking about. Someone has to connect the dots. You know, you have other dedicated C-suite folks focus on what they do, but you have to have that person right in the middle who looks at all of that and say, what does this mean within an organization so that it's viable for leadership and actually using that to their benefit? For the most part, we live in an interconnected world. It's just not a local uh, initiative and work that we do in the ERM. We're part of a global conversation now, and we need to keep that in mind. This is just not a Washington, D.C., thing that we're doing with Enterprise Risk Management. There's a whole world out there, private industry, nonprofit, universities, health, everyone's doing it. And we need to be a part of those additional conversations that's happening out there to make sure we don't get um, group think in terms mm -hmm. of enterprise risk management, step outside our usual business environments and see what's happening outside of the rest of the world. But we're on a good track. We have more people engaged in this than we ever have before. We have great leaders emerging leaders coming up through the association. We have great folks who've done, you know, trailblaze it, and there's a path for folks to follow. So I think, you know, passionate people in public service, we have a tool and strategy to help make sure that um, we manage those programs, you know, to the best of our ability. And I think the ERM is the path that, to help us get there. A wonderful relationship with RIMS, too, for the, yeah. the accreditation. The, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you need the, the credibility is important. Yeah. This didn't exist 15 years ago. You have to keep that in mind. That is huge. That is big. That, that, yeah. that didn't exist 15 years ago. So now that you have it, everyone should be certified in that. That's the technical piece. I want to reemphasize. Mm -hmm. We live in a volatile, uncertain, um, chaotic world, mm -hmm. and it requires more than technical expertise. You have to be in a position to articulate what does this mean to your organization and use ERM to help build a leadership's confidence about the organization's ability to navigate the uncertainties that's out there. Thanks for joining me for this special edition of the Business of Government Hour on Enterprise Risk Management in Action, Mission Success in the 21st Century. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation exploring the intersection of government, 
technology, and leadership. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.